speed. I am the Ben Shapiro of this podcast. I will accept <laughs> that. I'm the Andrew T. We are now in the process of defeating the radical left, the Marxists, the anarchists, the agitators, the looters, and people who in many instances have absolutely no clue what they are doing. Welcome back to Urban Land. Travis Laver, Cam Francis, Bilal Rafiq. I was going the order, like clockwise. Mm. <laughs> We're sitting in a different, <laughs> different order today. Guys. Yeah. Well, we and you know we got to make we got to make that clear because we don't want to put the woman first. You know we don't we don't want to do that. You know on this podcast we don't we don't do that. No. We, uh, Cam goes last. <laughs> Cam goes last. Over her. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is the uh, welcome back to the mansplain <laughs> podcast. Yeah. That's what we do. Um, how's how's everything? How's you, how's you guys? Well, I'm fucking pissed. Why are you pissed? What happened? Because I woke up today and I wasn't the Italian of the year, and I really <laughs> Wait, I can't believe you're pissed. Okay, so we talked <laughs> about this briefly pissed. beforehand. What is this a Windsor thing, or is yeah. this like? Are you not aware? Of I don't know. Italian of the year. It's one of the big things in windsor every year i don't know i'm very not italian so i so, have no stakes <laughs> my dad is an italian man and bilal some somehow it, bilal was teaching someone whose cousin and brother or da, 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 i don't know was the italian of the year and my dad i was like oh do you know da 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 boobity bop and he was like <laughs> racist but okay i'm italian <laughs> and he's like oh yeah yeah he was the italian of the year or whatever i was like what What's this? What's this, this like a of the year? And he was like, "Oh, there's like a like a gala and like a big thing and like it's at the Kubota Club." I was gonna or say it's gotta be at the Kubota Club. And yeah, I was like, "How do sense. you win the Italian of the Year?" He's like, "Oh, you just have to be the Italian man with the most money." I was like, <laughs> "Okay," but is that different every year? Or do people yeah. win it multiple yeah, times? Yeah, you win it. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I think you have to sell like a certain amount of like tickets, tickets or something for some guy. Ga- I don't know. It's some Kubota Club thing, but basically, this Kubota year, based. I, where yeah, labor, that's where I labor. I want to take happens. a moment of silence for. The in honor of the 2023 Italian of the Year, Mr. Anthony Pupatello. Oh, I know that name. Yeah, who's he was on January 27th, 2024. He was declared the 2023 Italian of the Year. So congratulations. We should have him on. We should have him on, but we should get him on and just see what's up. But Bilal was also very upset. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> Cam and I had been talking, and we we've been trying to find an in because we we both have express interest in running for italian of the year i i will say that <laughs> wait i'm not italian but this i think real. it would be very powerful in this day and age to have a palestinian be the italian mm. of the year the real italian i think that that would be really progressive and a big step forward for palestinian italian relations in the in the city and as italian of the year my first order of business would be to abolish italian property holdings are you kidding me this is my you know, it's not, this stealing is also my mine. platform i would ju- i would mow, i'm gonna mow Typical. all the italian landlords italian men are not gonna be able to own property this is my no, thing no, no, no. this is you my can't thing this is literally my thing cam is also running because it would be exactly cool that's what's, so what's your platform then? literally i want to abolish be similar like, any <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm gonna make a speech and thank everyone, obviously, but then I'm gonna say that I'm abolishing any private ownership by Italian men in the city. Italian yeah. landlords, no yeah. more. Italian men, you don't get to be property. landlords. You try. <laughs> we've tried this out. It doesn't work. You guys are horrible at this. Yeah. So who so do I'm you? Abolishing. Who, first of all, does the Italian of the year have that kind of power? I want to know. I assume they do. I feel like they Italians must. have all the power in they the must. city. Yeah. Let's be real. <laughs> well, they definitely like have all the construction companies. Yeah, yeah. it's the sure. Kaboto Club. It's a Kaboto Cabal. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's true. So we know where these decisions assets. are made. And se- secondly, who would you propose replaces the Italian men? in this landlord world oh, who fills the power else. vacuum just no, no one, landlords no more landlords yeah if you well, i mean i agree but i was just curious if you had like a particular plan oh the, yeah the here. city we're just gonna take it over yeah okay we're gonna we'll get to that we we'll don't know what we're gonna out. do with the land we got- so once we deal with the italians what do we do next who's the next first landlords? they came for the italians <laughs> and i did not speak up because i was not italian <laughs> <laughs> I came for the Italians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Uh, so let's start campaigning <laughs> yeah. uh, for both of you to be Italian of the you year. Want a socialist yeah. campaign for yeah. Italian? That's going to go over really well. It yeah. will. They love. They love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're just going to run. Well, you're just going to run. I'm just going to run. I think we're both going to run. It might tear us apart, but you're yeah. running on like identity politics. Well, I'm. I, I'm running. You're the identity politics candidate. Respond. Oh, God. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I'd say that, you know, we have to... It's it's not I'd Paul to just, like, be real about the fact that there never has been a Palestinian Italian of the Year. And I think to reduce the substance of my platform and my campaign to my skin color is kind of racist, oh. guys. Accusing Cameron of being racist. Yeah, I'm accusing... Okay, well, did I say... I, by the, the way... the only woman who's running... So maybe you're saying wow. no, 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 no. I believe as <laughs> I, as a feminist, I believe that women could be racist too. Mm. <laughs> as a so feminist, it's not just because you're true. a woman, you can't be racist. Oh, wow. this is facts, actually. Right? But maybe you're sexist because why are you coming at me? I don't yeah, know, true. Guys. You're coming at a woman. What's happening? I am coming at a woman. Which is I think we should. I think feminist. I think as a compromise, we should elect me as Italian of the Year mm. because there has also <laughs> never been a Dutch Italian of the Year. Oh, true. so true. I'm true. just saying. Uh, the Dutch have not historically had a lot of power uh, or influence in world politics, and so I think we should probably make that happen. D- is there a Dutch Kaboto club? No, there's not. There's not a. Is there a Dutch? There's not a Kabodsma. There's no Kabodsma club here in Windsor. There's nothing. Nothing. No, I'm just saying it. So yeah. Why don't you run for like Windsor Islamic Association and let the let the Kaboto politics? You should run for Dutch of the Year. Dutch Dutch of the Year. year. Yeah, you'd probably win that. Dutchman of the Year. And just nominate yourself. Just elect yourself to to Dutch of the Year. I like this. Do I have to pass like a blood quantum (laughs) (laughs) test to do it? Because I'm only one eighth Dutch, so I don't know if that actually Hmm. does the thing. Are you Italian at all? I don't believe so. Are you Italian? No. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Mm. No. <laughs> I haven't done a 23andMe, so it's possible. You know 23andMe is racist? 100%. Everyone's Palestinians, Nigerian. <laughs> yeah. True, but Palestinians are not considered a race on any of those DNA sampling things. They'll just say, like, oh, you're Egyptian or you're Jordanian or whatever. Well, but shit. Israelis are. What? Yeah. It's like That's a thing. That's like my... So I play this uh, really nerdy baseball text simulation game called Out of the Park Baseball. Uh, shouts out. Um, well, not shouts out in this sense, because even though they're a small German company that makes it, and I'm willing to support them because it's like four dudes 
that have just been making this shit for 25 years and it's the best thing on the market. Um, also, when you can like open up the world to different baseball players, and whenever there's a baseball player with like the name, you know, Mohammed Al Farouk, it they're from Israel. It's like, oh, uh, what? Yeah, excuse, excuse me, from Israel. Excuse me, with Israel, and there is no option to select Palestine as a wow. nation. So uh, if you're listening to this out of the park baseball, we're on to you and we're coming for you. Fuck you Fucking out Zionists. of the park baseball. Yeah, but also it's a really dope game. So I, like I think we should probably just email them and be like, yo, what's up? Mm, critical then, support. For them. We could always <laughs> do better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they just don't know. They're Germans. Mm. Maybe, maybe they're afraid, you know? It's a whole thing to be uh, pro-Palestine yeah, in yeah, Germany. There, there <laughs> was a thing in Germany a little while ago yeah. about that, you know, had to do with it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I'm gonna run for Italian of the Year. Uh, why isn't there other blank of the year in the city? Do you think? Is it just like a Kubota Club thing? I, yeah, it's just a Kubota yeah. Club. What about the the Polish club? Do they do uh, they elect the Polish person of the year? Just people who listen to this that would know. Get back know. to us. Yeah. yeah. Please. <laughs> we want to know. Are there other I'm like people of the year? Yeah. There's, there's like no a Serbian like, club. There's Bonnie Luka the, on right. Drillard. There's like. Uh, what other there's all kinds of quote unquote ethnic clubs I think Italians just love power yeah I think that, that is <laughs> oh. is there a Serbian of the year bio get back to Let us let me see what yeah. they say about where this where are the guy. Serbs at okay <laughs> Italian of the year the prestigious 2023 Italian of the year award has been awarded wait 2023 yeah cause it's well it was cause for last year for last year yeah. oh yeah you can't award the year yeah, ahead. The beginning of the oh, year. got you. To Who Mr. Knows? Anthony Tony Sr. Pupatello. Mr. Pupatello. Is it Puppetello? Pupatello? Pupit- I think it's. Could be either, actually. <laughs> I've heard both. Okay. Pupatello. Is Pupitello. a Windsor native and the owner of Pupatello and Sons Limited. What is that? I guarantee you that's a construction company. I don't know. Or is I'm, it a I'm willing to be. No, no, you're right. It it's a construction be. company. Mr. Pupatello is known for his humanitarian efforts and has They're been an active board member of several organizations, including the Windsor Construction Association, Canadian Italian <laughs> Business Professional Association, the Ambassador Huron and Villa Chicharo, Chichara, Giovanni Caboto Club is thrilled oh period Giov- Giovanni Caboto Club is thrilled to celebrate Mr. Pupitello's dedication and service to his community damn by presenting him with the Italian of the Year award uh, they didn't name one humanitarian effort though <laughs> how is it's, it's weird being part like, of the Windsor Construction Association is a humanitarian it effort it is because this is this is the mob okay this is mafia politics <laughs> and this guy is what? the don of Windsor it's now. weird because like Kaboto Club has all kinds of Enchicharo, like all those clubs have a lot of ties to labor too, right? Like uh, big labor. Like Labor Day, I believe, is at Kaboto, right? That's where they do the like big celebration for Labor Day every year. Like after it, mar- it marches from Turner over to Kaboto. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and they have like a big thing with bouncy castles and hot dogs and shit. It's actually pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I think that that's at Kaboto or Chicharo, one of the two. You're going around in the bouncy councils? Yeah, yeah. Bouncy yeah, castles? Yeah. I don't know what I said. Yeah. Bouncy councils? <laughs> bouncy councils? That's, what, that's the meeting you have inside the bouncy castles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Robert's Rules. It's like yeah. the r- Lazy River <laughs> meeting, business meetings. <laughs> so it looks like, okay, so what we were told is to win Italian of the Year, you just have to sell more tickets. Mm-hmm. So, so what if you just sold are, a bunch of tickets? Tickets are $100 per person. <laughs> It can be purchased at the Kaboto Club office. Okay, so if I can sell more tickets than anyone else, 
Will I be the Italian of the year? Okay, we need to do this now. I need to make it. I need to run or Bilal needs to run. We'll both run. Are we gonna oh we're gonna both run? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not not running just because you are. Like I oh, believe true. in you, okay. I support you, but also I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's whoever sells the most. It's not like you need a majority or anything. So like it's not like a okay. vote. You're just selling yeah. stuff. And then when you get on stage, you can do your whole thing do about eliminating <laughs> Italian men as landlords in the city. You could dress up like Super Mario and get up there and be like, I'm abolishing the property. <laughs> We're going to, exp- I don't know, expropriate all the, the landlords. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. oh my God. We're going to get so much shit We're for this. Canceled. Yeah, We're going to get canceled. Yeah. Sorry, Italians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. You guys are going through some yeah, things you're going right through a lot. now. Yeah, right? it's true. Like, yeah, must <laughs> be really hard. <laughs> yeah. How are uh, you, Travis? I'm I'm great now. Now that I know this thing exists, <laughs> I'm all right. You know, I'm I'm good. I got no real complaints. Going to be unemployed soon, which is both amazing and terrible. So yeah, um, I'm looking forward to it, but also need money. So if you got money, please uh, send us e transfers to the river and the land at gmail dot com. Yep. Pay Travis's rent, and uh, pay my rent. <laughs> it's gonna <laughs> be dope. Uh, I'm not down bad yet. Like I say, there's there's a cushion. Yeah, but it's a uh, lump in energy. Lump in energy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm alright. I played a gig. I played a show oh, yeah. for the first time in this city, at least in four years. Yeah. Since early 2020. That's um, awesome. It was oh. at the at the Dominion House. Both of you were there. Thank yeah. you for supporting for uh, strumming through the smog and drumming clouds. Yeah uh really cool songwriter circle thing that he does so that was fun i, I like i kind of forgot in like how much i do enjoy doing that yeah so <clears throat> might start doing it again i don't know we'll see That's awesome. stay tuned i guess yeah yeah, yeah. that was fun it was a yeah. fun yeah, game that was awesome i feel yeah. like i was a fly on the wall in travis land yeah there was a lot yeah it was all your people it was all my and, like people. cam and i just like showed up, <laughs> up and we're like oh like, travis is in his element <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how was that to see? Was that, uh, it, was, it was wholesome. Yeah, it was, it was wholesome? Yeah. All right, yeah. yeah. Well, I just kept whispering, Travis has Riz. Travis has Riz. <laughs> <laughs> Were we surprised by this? You guys are no, looking you. right at me right now. fucking Rizzler. I know that. <laughs> Rizzly bear over here. But the Rizzler in the land. The Rizzler in the land, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it was... I mean, Windsor has a really good folk scene, which it is does. cool, like... Yeah, we have a lot of folk musicians in the city, like really good folk musicians. Mm-hmm. It's a cool scene. Speaking of shows, should we? We should probably do in, this, right? right? Yeah, yeah. So we, the River and the Land is putting on a show. That's true. It's We're going to be, be awesome. March 29th. Good Friday. On Good Friday. Yeah. We're doing a fundraiser concert communist spectacular at <laughs> fog lounge and the proceeds are going to go to palestine action i believe yeah we, me- we mentioned uh two episodes ago drone over drones yeah exactly this yeah. awesome direct action network that blocks boats that transport elbit systems weaponry to israel so that's going to be so cool please. Uh, Travis is going to be playing Meander Green, which is a band I am in, is going to be playing, mm-hmm. as well as Bog Moss, which is a really awesome, like, kind of punk, grungy band. So it's going to be like Punks for Palestine. Come on out. We're, yeah. we're going to, like, announce this properly, but yeah, yeah. Mark we'll, your calendar. We'll have marketing now. and stuff. We're going to do it right. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Fog Lounge in support of Palestine. Well, maybe not Fog Lounge in support of Palestine. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but at least there's a show happening there that is. So. 
Yeah. Uh, if you're yeah. a real punk, you'll come out to <clears throat> an actual yeah. punk if you're a real one, thing. You'll come out, <laughs> come yeah. out and give all your money. That's the mallcore yeah. punk. Should we get into some? We should though? do some thing here. Yeah, okay. we should probably have an episode. So what? Um, <laughs> good banter. This <laughs> <laughs> was good banter. But uh, yeah, so we are going to get into something that we've talked about, talking about since the beginning of this podcast, and we just haven't done it again because October 7th happened on, on, before our second episode, so it just kind of like derailed what our plans were. But um, we were going to talk about the, the peatlands in Northern Ontario, um, and they're sort of how they are critical to both the survival of humanity and also the survival of the electric vehicle business. And who do you think uh, gets priority over? <laughs> which one do you think, if I you had to guess? jobs. It's always <laughs> jobs. Yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, and in the future, we might have a guest on who knows a lot more about it, just to kind of mm. really dig in. But I think it's a good idea for us to get into what it what what the peatlands are. Because it's something that I didn't know anything about until you brought it up mm. to me, Cameron. Like, I just no idea how in like uh, both their role in tech in green tech specifically and also mm. how important it is as an environmental thing so why don't you yeah. take it away well i when i first heard about the ev battery plant in windsor my reaction was okay that's sweet like you know green technology that's cool you know i didn't really have any gripes about it and then i was dm'd a documentary by a friend of mine and I watched it and it was about the peatlands and it was about the EV battery plant um, and just EV battery and technology in general. Um, so let's, let's just set the scene. So um, deep in the Hudson Bay lowlands, there is a swath of land that stretches from Manitoba through Ontario all the way to Quebec. Mm -hmm. And um, that's called the peatlands. So they're kind of like a wetland. Um, vegetation gets kind of like buried under growing moss at the top and um this is a land that stores they say it stores five times more carbon than the rainforest so it's more effective at storing carbon like um, capturing it in the atmosphere and storing it yes yeah. and it uh it pushes it down and it creates peat um so there's it's it's the second largest in all of the world and we have it in ontario most of it in ontario um so it is our responsibility to maintain this like swath of land um there's dozens of indigenous communities that live in that area um and in 2007 um there was uh mineral deposits discovered um, which led to political rhetoric proclaiming Northern Ontario as Canada's next oil sands. Um, since then, dozens of mining companies have made the trek 500 kilometers from Thunder Bay in search of chromite, nickel, copper, and cobalt. And the area is dubbed as the Ring of Fire. So, um, yeah, a looming shortage of minerals needed for electric vehicle batteries and other green tech has renewed interest in these deposits in this land. Mm -hmm. And Ontario Premier Doug Ford has made opening the region to mining a priority. Um, but so far, the Ring of Fire has not lived up to the hype. So early claims that there was about $60 billion worth of minerals underground have been debunked by other experts. Yeah. So it's not you know, as fruitful as they made it seem. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, like 
there's only there's a dozen of First Nations up there, and they're only two formally support um, this proposal to mine up there because so the connection with the EV battery is that there's these are the minerals needed for building the EV battery. So they're yeah. wanting well, they're, to they're needed sorry, for yeah. like building a lot of types of batteries, but because yeah. the EV industry is exploding it's like that's that's why there's a shortage yeah. right and why there needs to be new mining yeah. yeah so this land has been practically untouched because think of it it's a wetland you can't really develop on there mm-hmm. so they started mining in 2007 and if you destruct just 10 percent of this wetland first of all it takes a thousand years to grow just a meter of this mm-hmm. so it's extremely slow process and if you just destroy just 10% of this, um, we're never in our lifetimes going to ever be able to recapture the greenhouse gases that'll be released. Peat also cleans the water and it's crucial for First Nations because um, they, they use that dr- as drinking water and they mm-hmm. fish in those waters. So right now, like they're protecting that land and they're they're like the uh, kind of overseers of that land. And so they're they're expressing worry that like mining this area is going to cause like um what's it called uh irreparable irreversible irreversible like climate disaster and like it'll impact the entire world so my gripe is that in windsor we're all like celebrating this ev battery excuse me this ev battery plant and we're all excited about jobs and i've actually messaged um, Ira Kuzmerichek's like uh, secondhand guy that I actually yeah. know personally, and I messaged- Ira, by the way, is the MP for Windsor Tecumseh, a Liberal yeah. MP. So I messaged uh, someone I knew that works with him very closely, and I said, "Hey, like, because he posted something about like celebrating jobs, and I think people in Windsor are pretty neutral feeling about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I, there's not been many people like saying they don't like it. Most people are excited about job prospects." Mm-hmm. Yeah. The politicians certainly are excited about this. Yeah, they've been pushing it yeah. hard. Even the NDP, like Brian yeah. Massey, has been flexing it. Mm-hmm. it. It's there's like giant billboards with IREC on it, just being like, "Look, I brought you all these these jobs," you know. And it's it's really much just being seen as like a big PR like political win for the city that they're going to try to like milk. But no one's really questioning it from a deeper perspective. Except and there's a Cam. lot of ways to. <laughs> to question it which we'll get into but yeah but it's just not a we're being sold that this is like green technology and that it's going to save us and save the planet and it's still like this indivi- individualistic solution to solving climate change which only works if all of us are able to afford these cars <laughs> yeah. which is already we know that people in windsor <laughs> can't afford the, not all of us can afford a vehicle let alone a lot of tesla yeah it, exactly and they force <laughs> us into cars here and we still not not everyone is still able to afford a, a vehicle so like clearly that's not the solution like unless you're going to give everyone this but, but uh, even and, then but even right? then it's yeah. like you're releasing all this greenhouse gas that we're never going to be re- able to recapture exactly. just to collect these minerals yeah. and they said that there's not even they don't even believe that there's this many minerals under there so it's a complete waste of time resources and it's going to be devastating for the environment so this is not green technology do not let them like convince you and like their branding is all like oh it's you know it's green it's clean it's not yeah there's always yeah sorry 
Okay, no, I was just saying right. Oh, <laughs> like, sorry. I thought you were yeah, I was just agreeing. But no. yeah, I just wanted to ask you guys, or actually, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Like, I was just gonna say, like, it's it's. I don't know enough about this, but it seems like it's more about saving the car industry than yes. it is the Absolutely. actual like cost and benefit of because it's <laughs> like oh we're getting green cars, but we're also emitting like a irreparable amount of of uh, carbon back into the atmosphere and destroying clean drinking water for indigenous communities farther and like, invading bolivia for their lithium and that's like, the other thing you know, like it's, it's just brutal this like this is the, quickly going to it already is transforming <clears throat> into like a form of like green imperialism yeah um because like lithium is another huge aspect of this like if we're going to be mass producing thousands or millions of ev battery cars to switch without switching kind of our overall system of atomized transportation everyone's sitting in mm. a separate car with a separate battery <clears throat> you know we're going to keep the system kind of the same in terms of how it looks we're just switching to ev where are we going to get the the lithium and the other minerals for these millions if not tens of millions of ev batteries Hundreds of millions yeah we're there doubling down countries. on car culture right like it's exactly which which yes there is the um the air pollution aspect of that that's a problem it's not the only problem with car culture right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like uh yeah it's i mean i mean we, we we talk about this a lot like there's there's now it's it's no longer a debate whether climate change is happening there's no longer a debate whether humans are causing it or not there are some people who still hold out those opinions but they are in the extreme radical minority at this point yeah. mm-hmm. even like the most right-wing politician you know acknowledges that climate change is real and so like now that they can no longer deny it's a thing and and it's very clear i think that the problem here is capitalism uh, that that now they're saying no no no, like yeah but we can just fix capitalism a little bit we can make it greener we can and it becomes this like weird techno utopia uh you know technocratic solutions to all these problems like let's we are so smart we have so much technology now we can fix this problem by just leaving everything like it is but changing the technology around the edges that Mm -hmm. you know uh is going to make it better it's going to reduce greenhouse gases and, and all this kind of stuff when in reality it's either not doing that or it's just creating new problems right uh and it's not any kind of radical solution for working class people on Mm -hmm. any level like capitalism wants to sell you a solution to climate change when the solutions are already things we we have like better transit buses and trains talked about it last time (laughs) and we had a trolley yeah so like those are the things that actually improve our climate improve the living standard of everyone in the community and in the city like mm-hmm. it's we already have the solutions yeah. we don't need to be building these ev batteried powered cars like it's yeah. just it's 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 just for developers it's for development it's i don't know it's just private yeah. capital mm-hmm. like if we built if we were building them alongside a plan to drastically reduce the number of cars on the road i would be fine with it because yeah, it's totally because yeah. like you know like it's that's not the problem like yes we should be getting uh you know the oil industry out of the planet and the biggest way you do that is by eliminating combustion engines in any way you can right mm-hmm. so that's not the problem right it's kind mm-hmm. of similar to last time we were talking about how like you know the things that 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 uh you know people are proposing for for active transportation it's not those things that are the problem it's it's the way in which it's couched as this savior to all the problems we're gonna leave everything exactly the same we're not gonna change anything systematic at all mm-hmm. we're just going to leave it all the exact same but we're going to replace all these combustion engines 
with electric engines and mm-hmm. boom we boom we did it guys we did it yeah you know and that's just <laughs> never been the solution yeah at, at any point there's i think it was Marx. i might be wrong but probably 90 percent who said elon musk Marx. is bullshit yeah yeah exactly <laughs> no, but Mar- I, it's, there's a marxist saying that someone said like capitalism does not create problems that it does not already have the solution for yeah and i think the climate crisis is really emblematic of that sort of contradiction where through client through destroying the environment we were able to create all this wonderful technology that can be used to alleviate the destruction of the environment but it's our social organization that's actually the barrier at this point because we literally like we don't need any more technology than we already have mm-hmm. we could literally suck carbon out of the atmosphere we have all these like renewable resources we have fucking trees <laughs> yeah. ama- there's a, this amazing technology that gets rid of carbon it's called a tree if we yeah. have more of those we have all the solutions necessary. We just need to switch our social mode of organization to one that is actually able to think about like development and growth and resource extraction in a way that's logical and that's rational and that we could plan around. And not based on profit. Exactly, because capitalism, yeah. it's an anarchic system. It yeah. seeks endless growth. It's, it's principle driving force is endless growth so that it could get from one profit quarter to the next one yeah this long-term planning aspect of it that's required to deal with the climate crisis does not exist yeah under capitalism and to the extent that it does politically when they go to like the paris accords or whatever and they set these targets gets completely undermined by the logic of our system which is the market economy because that that's always going to supersede things otherwise we go into a recession if we don't have enough growth yeah. and then things get paralyzed and everyone loses their jobs and things get fucked yeah so it's 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 so clearly capitalism at this point and we could do a whole three hour episode just on why that is yeah yeah and, and the sort of degrowth movement that's come out of a lot of uh social movements as well mm-hmm. um yeah i mean like i don't know cam do you have, you have more to say about i just like do we always have to choose between jobs and the planet? Yeah. Mm. I mean, we. D- this is the problem, right? And this is something... The other thing... I remember when this was first announced, I think I was living in Halifax or maybe just about to move out there, so I was kind of checked out a bit, but we don't learn in this fucking city, do we? We just never goddamn learn our lesson. We attach ourselves to one fucking industry. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then <laughs> when that industry decides they no longer need us... Yeah then we're thrown to the wolves yeah we're like there's a reason that windsor routinely has the highest unemployment rate in canada yeah. is because we don't learn our fucking they lesson don't plan they don't and they panic and then they go we need to like get this other auto get this other big oh, industry one trick pony yeah mm-hmm. just get another big industry there's no like thought about how to actually solve the problem of yeah. inequality in windsor of precarious employment in windsor yeah. but how like people fucking leave windsor because there's just nothing long term here we don't lean into mm-hmm. any of our strengths as a city yeah. like not only do we have a, a thriving music and art scene in the city despite their efforts to defund us like however much you know i think we have an amazing art scene community that could like help revive i think or in a way or just like bring people in like i think we could i think we could Mm -hmm. improve our tourism but also just like black history we're the end of the the rail uh the underground railroad Mm -hmm. like why is there no tour a prohibition tour 
Obviously, that like, Prohibition yeah. tour. Like, like, why is there no hit? There's nothing. There's no right. attention to that. Like actually, How did we not cool lean history into here. This? And we also have like one of the best. Um, what is it called? The only uh, Carolinian forest in like yeah, in Canada. The, in Canada. Yeah. We should yeah. be preserving that. Yeah, and it, it's it. I mean, and that stuff doesn't. All those things you just pointed to are like great reasons that Windsor is a cool place to hang out, but none of them are going to get profits. None of them are going to yeah. sustain jobs With, long term. Support. Yeah, and like that's like that's the issue is that we're such a we're we are a slave to that mode of production, right? We cannot mm-hmm. think outside of capitalism. Um, you know, this goes into like. I feel like I bring it up every episode again, but modern monetary theory and like how money actually works and how we don't need to be doing this. This is not what we Mm. need to be doing. We could do a totally different thing where people's needs are met, where people have a jobs guarantee, where, you know, like uh, everyone is is working, everyone either Mm -hmm. working or getting money to live Mm -hmm. uh, as just a, a fact of being born. You know, right. and that there's there's plenty of work to do that doesn't involve profit for like six fucking people. Yeah, and there you are know? countries that have done that relatively successfully. They're called yeah. socialist ones. <laughs> exactly. It's I like, mean, it's, China. For I know that China is a complicated thing, but yeah. they they understand modern monetary theory. That's why they're able to build fucking hospitals whenever they need it. Just boom, yeah. hospital. Well, there China you go. China has a high degree <laughs> of planning. Yeah, the, which is the, it's it's weird because like they are capitalist in they terms are, yeah. of like who actually controls the country. Like, it's such a complicated. I don't know if we should. Yeah. Care well, right modern now. modern monetary <laughs> theory famously does not have any specific politics. It's just how money works. Like, it's not right. a you can graft any politics onto it, which is dangerous mm-hmm. and also potentially revolutionary. Right. It's so. just like how do you get there? Like, because that's how the politicians win. Is they. Yeah. They frame it as, or the, I said politics. This is how the oil industry wins. And yeah, yeah, the, the capitalist say. class wins. Is they frame it as your livelihood, short term, or the planet long term. And that's an impossible uh, position yeah. to put any working class person in because it's like, oh, do you feed your kids and your family and just starve and give up your job? Or do we think about future generations? And mm-hmm. that misses the point. Yeah. Because it's not actually like that. We're, there's never going to be an actual solution to the climate crisis through keeping things the way they are and like sh- just shifting to like EV batteries or just shifting, you know, keeping the type of labor we have and the type of like workplace organization, uh, but just making it a little bit greener. Like we're we're going to be able to only meaningfully do this transition in a way that works if it's through and spearheaded by organized labor mm-hmm. and by by a government that is instituting more forms of economic planning and nationalizing industries even which i yeah. think is a, a good starting point right yeah taking these things out of market control to begin with and that goes hand in hand with jobs yeah that goes hand in hand with like stable jobs programs and if you're worried about unemployment Maybe we need to rethink this capitalist thing because capitalism breeds unemployment. Yeah, like it requires system, yeah. a reserve army of unemployed labor, like in order to keep keep uh, keep wages down. Like this is yeah. this is a huge part of this form of organization. And importantly, and importantly, unemployment really is weaponized against an, uh, an area like Windsor because they they say, well, hey, listen, like. Yeah, is it ideal that we have to like build and pay for all the infrastructure for all these things like the EV battery plant? Yeah, we got to repair all the roads and make sure they're all up to a certain grade because now there's going to be transport trucks running out there. So we have to spend millions and millions of dollars to get 
the power grid working properly for that plant to get out like and that's all public money that's all public shit that has to do that and and so it's weaponized against us if, if you don't do that if you don't do that then you're not gonna get the plant it's gonna go to kitchener or it's gonna go to mm-hmm. alabama and you're fucked have fun and so like people will vote to like completely ruin themselves financially on a public level in order to get these projects off the ground it's the same thing with the mega hospital it's the same thing with i'm sure with the current stellantis plant when it was built you know like it's the public that pays the infrastructure and to tie that back into the peatlands really quick it's like they talked about it in this documentary that we'll definitely post uh it was a global news documentary about it um where you know all of the roads that have to be built up into the peatlands to do this are going to be paid for by public money Mm -hmm. right and like again it's it's literally taking public money public assets and giving them to corporations so just saying this is Mm -hmm. in order to facilitate the profit of these corporations who will fuck you as workers yeah like in 10 years we're going to be talking about all the layoffs of the ev battery plant for sure you know and everybody will have Mm -hmm. forgotten about this really optimistic time where Windsor's going to be the new growth city of Canada and it's going to mm-hmm. completely change everything. Because in 10 years, when they lay off half the workers or they, what they were already doing, which is bringing in Korean workers mm-hmm. <laughs> like to, to move here and, and literally not giving anybody a job who lived here, uh, like that kind of shit gets forgotten about mm-hmm. two years after you spend billions of dollars on infrastructure and other things and just handing these contracts to these massive companies. Right socialism for the rich capitalism for the poor yeah that's how it always is mm-hmm. right the public pays for these developments so it's a public project that's what yeah. i don't get with like any any tech thing even if you look at like fucking tesla or anything like elon musk has done it's always huge public subsidies that mm-hmm. go to the development of these projects maybe it's the research into certain technology so that it's a safe investment you know, people talk about capitalists taking the risk. They're not taking the risk. No. They're getting fucking a hand. They're getting free half shit. The time. Exactly. Yeah. The public is they're, they're welfare queens. Like the public yeah. is paying for them so that they to ameliorate the risk so that they invest in it. Mm-hmm. And then the 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 actual profits and the benefits end up privatized. Yep. And the risk, you don't talk about risk. The community's paying for this, and then we might not even see a benefit from it. Yeah, you know when there's layoffs, inevitably. Yeah, and wasn't it uh, like I'm trying to think if it was the EV battery plant here, where the money that the the Canadian and Ontario government gave to them was just out of control, and again, like I think we have to do our modern monetary theory episode soon, so I can stop couching all this shit. <laughs> but like that on a provincial and local level still matters right you still we still have budgets we still are just handing assets to the private sector which mm-hmm. is ultimately like six people you know that are profiting off of this it's a couple um, monopolies yeah and it, it's like do we really want to sell our souls for the short-term gain of a few probably not great paying jobs mm-hmm. at the end of the day like do we want to do that or do we want to radically rethink this right. entire project because it's it's just going to be like this it's Let's cycling see. over and over i know again. we destroyed the planet guys but for a short time we created a lot of value for shareholders <laughs> yeah. so it was worth it it was totally worth it yeah <laughs> there's a meme it's like some guy sitting by In a, a cave, campfire yeah. and like a post-apocalyptic <laughs> thing yeah and that's it but yeah this is something that like warrants many many episodes and i i think it's worth it to like go into the nuances of this and talk mm-hmm. about things like degrowth and mmt of course and just yeah. like this whole perspective of how tech will not save us actually there's 
that podcast tech won't save tech us won't save amazing us. Yeah, great podcast, podcast. Yeah, yeah. one of my favorite podcasts yeah. that goes into this and from an environmental perspective from a, a tech perspective so i, I just want to give them a Canadian shout out perspective too yeah it's it's i think it's toronto podcast really really awesome stuff but yeah i don't know do you guys have any anything else to say on the Savic before we do palestine updates or Dates. yeah i can't yeah. wait to not have to but do before we updates. do before we re- but just before yeah. we do i just want to say too, and like get your shots another episode we're going to have to do is uh on canadian mining companies because these yeah. are some of the most horrifically evil corporations on the planet and Canada is the leading country in terms of like having like these mining countries and where their home base is. Canada is the leading country in the world for mining companies. And uh, we used to mine asbestos here in Canada until very recently. I think that the law was put in place, I think in 2012 or something that uh, banned mining, but then it took, they had like a grandfathered period of several years. I think there was like asbestos mines operating in Canada until like 2018. This is something that's illegal in Canada. You can't use asbestos for any reason in Canada. But we were exporting it to third world countries that didn't have that legal infrastructure in place. Giving, knowingly giving third world countries cancer, mesothelioma, just fucking handing it to them. And these companies still operate asbestos mines in other countries where, again, the laws are less less strict on this stuff. What is asbestos used for? insulation uh flooring like various uh, furniture they used to be used for fucking everything in fact like any building over a certain age including the one we're probably in right now has asbestos somewhere and it's safe as long as it's not being disturbed so like if you were doing like a big project or something you'd have to actually get someone to come in and make sure you're not going to like give yourself cancer by doing it and this is something that we just these canadian mining companies just do and they they profit in the billions of dollars on the death of people whose countries are too poor usually yeah. to stop them and it's like it's really wow. fucked up so like this is something we had to get into these these companies that are mm-hmm. talking about destroying the peatlands are some of the most like absolutely devil horned lizard people on yeah. the fucking planet and it should it, it should be like <laughs> talked about more yeah 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 true anyway palestine yeah, update gaza updates okay so like I feel like a lot happened this week in terms of Palestine, to be yeah. honest. This was a major week in the conflict for... God, there's there's a lot to talk about. This might take a sec, but I'll try to be like concise and mm. we don't have to dwell on it too much. I just want to kind of update people on the basic facts. So one thing that probably everyone has heard of is the ICJ verdict mm-hmm. coming in. Not we, verdict. T- we talked about that with... Uh two episodes ago but right. now there's so we, been a we talked about a the verdict. case in general so yeah. and as we talked about then this wasn't about finding israel guilty or not or having a definitive verdict which could honestly take years and i suspect is going to happen once this is cooled down and when kind of they're not going to strike this when the iron's hot because it's it's too crazy of an issue mm-hmm. but the icj came out I think, was it Friday or something like yeah. that? A couple days ago, saying that um, it's plausible that a genocide is being committed. And that is what South Africa's case was kind of predicated on, is they were looking for emergency provisional measures to stop it kind of before it happens, right? It's as if the Nuremberg trials happened you know, at the beginning of World War II and not after the damage was done. Like, it was, this yeah. was about recognizing, oh, there's a genocide. We should stop it before they wipe out millions of people, uh-huh. you know? 
when it was an interesting case go back and listen to there's tons of coverage on this or we talked about this in a former episode um again the drone over drones one we talked about it yeah, pretty drone extensively over with, with brian Shuchuk. so they did determine that which i guess like a lot of people are considering a win and they um they didn't call for a ceasefire which is kind of the big thing. They called for six provisional measures. I'm just going to read this from Amnesty, mm-hmm. and then we could get into it a bit. So the ruling issued by the ICJ ordered six provisional measures, including for Israel to refrain from acts under the Genocide Convention, uh, prevent and punish the direct and public incitement uh, to genocide, and take immediate and effective measures to ensure the provision of humanitarian assistance to civilians in Gaza. That one's important. We're going to loop back to this in a sec. Right, uh, ensure the provision of humanitarian assistance to civilians in Gaza. Remember that. Crucially, the court also ordered Israel to preserve evidence of genocide and submit a report to the court within one month. So, Israel had. They're asking Israel, "Hey, if you're doing some genocide, don't. First of all, don't. Maybe maybe don't. don't, You guys be cool. And we want you to tell us how you're doing on that. So you're gonna play. It's like the New York uh, NYPD like doing reports on police misconduct themselves. If you there's no third party. If you discover that you're doing some genocide, would you mind giving us the evidence that you're doing the genocide? (laughs) Exactly. And it's the the people who are calling for genocide and actually carrying it out that are going to be telling on themselves somehow, yeah. which doesn't make a lot of sense. And like I said, notably, they did not demand a ceasefire, which is like probably the most basic thing that if a genocide is occurring, hmm, I wonder if it is, could actually do something. And they could have done this. That's the thing is yep. like, I know the ICJ power. doesn't have a lot of like binding power, but they have called for ceasefires before. Mm-hmm. They called for one in 2022. It basically immediately after Russia began invading Ukraine, they mm-hmm. called for a ceasefire. And then the ICC, which is the International Criminal Court of Justice, which pr- uh, prosecutes war criminals rather than states, which the ICJ oversees. Um, they found Putin guilty of war crimes and issued a, an arrest warrant. Which I just think it's kind of like interesting because a lot yeah. of the things that like we were losing, the West was losing their shit over Russia doing. Israel is doing like ten times more, like yeah. uh, just on another level qualitatively. Like it's not and even so, yeah. close. They're yeah. doing it, and that's fine. They're just like, uh, maybe stop. And again, like court. Ukraine, Russia, a war between two states. Not saying that they're equally matched or anything, but it's a war between. Two yeah. functioning states with governments and militaries. Well, it's a proxy war between <laughs> NATO and Russia. Yeah, that's what. At exactly. The end of the day, we as talked a, about as this in our to, Ukraine episode. Yeah, so. as opposed to Israel-Palestine, which is yeah. one colonial state wiping another, like loose affiliation of people off the planet. Exactly. And I mean, like, like one of the big cruxes of Israel's argument in court was like, one they didn't. First of all, they didn't argue the substance of the case at all. They did not talk about. Uh, whether or not a genocide had occurred. They didn't try to defend any actions they did or say whether anything was true or not. Their argument was basically that South Africa was out of bounds because they don't have a direct bearing on the actual conflict because they're like, it's as if this like outsider came in. It's as if like you and you and Cam had a legal issue and like I charged Travis for fucking with Cam, you know, which like doesn't make sense like you know why south africa getting into this is basically what they were arguing it's a jurisdiction issue yeah but the the irony of that is like by their logic no one could ever bring israel to justice or charge Mm. it with anything because palestine gaza is not a state palestine is not a state 
they don't have as far as i know they don't have the ability to like bring a genocide case against the against israel when they are denied statehood and they're an occupied territory that is governed basically directly if not indirectly at best by israel so south africa steps up uh, and does that the other thing they argued was the uh they argued that oh like hamas did it Hamas started it, so we're just defending ourselves, which isn't legally binding at all. It's not. It's not a legal defense in a genocide case because the the whole point of genocide as a crime is that it's indefensible and there's no excuse. Like mm-hmm. even if even if Palestine did genocidal actions to Israel prior to this, which they didn't, like it's still not a defense to go no, and no. you know wipe out a group as such. Anyway, um, I don't know what to make of this. Because I didn't have a lot of hope going into this. I don't look to the UN or international law or anything like that as a means towards liberation. Yeah. Because I know it's bullshit. It and literally I, can't be. As we just demonstrated <laughs> with Russia. Yeah. It's just a political game. Right. You know, I do think that, you know, getting like information from the UN could be useful. We do that a lot for the research for this podcast. Yeah. Because it's special, hard to argue. Special rapporteurs that go in and do their thing there's there's a re like there's it's not like any of these organizations are inherently good or bad they just they exist within liberal western democracies so yeah, there yeah. they have the limitations of those Exa- at exactly. the end of the day yeah so it's, it's interesting uh that israel is finally on some level held accountable at least performatively in the sense that they said it's plausible and it's going to trial, right? That's yeah, the other thing. They're doing so an actual trial. They're doing an actual trial on this. This is a huge step forward after 75 years of genocidal actions. So that's good. It's not a total defeat. But again, like, I wouldn't invest much hope in this process because that's not the point. And at the end yeah. of the day, we do not need uh, bourgeois international democracy or whatever, the UN to... Tell us what's up from down. We know a genocide is happening there, and we know liberation of Palestinians is not going to happen through these channels. It's going to happen through the world working class. That's the only prospect for it, is the people of the Middle East and the Western wider world can liberate Palestine, Mm -hmm. not these politicians. And there's another case coming to the ICJ from Indonesia, right, Which which is charging Israel with occupation, with illegal occupation. Is that still happening? Actually, don't know enough was, about yeah, that. I, I yeah, that was, that was the, like that's. I heard about that. But I so there's know like this there happened. is this sort of international state strategy, at least, to like put pressure on Israel uh, from from these countries that I guess they probably were strategically selected to do it because mm-hmm. Indonesia is another country that has had a lot of history of genocide. So uh, you know, yeah. it's it's uh, you, you, I guess like I say, it's not a bad thing, and it keeps the focus on Israel is bad. Mm-hmm. We need to do something about this. These massive countries with political influence are stepping up to the plate mm-hmm. and saying so, mm-hmm. you know, giving it legitimacy. Right. And and Canada has to respond. Like Justin Trudeau, I saw, like, had to come out and say that he would stand, he would abide by the ICJ ruling when there was one. He that, immediately didn't, though. He immediately that's didn't. That's what but, we're going to get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I was going to say, I was going to say, but like, what does that actually mean? Like versus like because i mean he can say that all he wants but right so now um, that we got everyone's hopes up and we talked about something positive i'm immediately <laughs> going to shit on all your dreams and make everyone feel bad so how did israel respond first of all they're anti-semitic 
That's what Obviously. that's what Israel said about yeah, it. Yeah, well, the, the, the UN's anti-Semitic. The ICJ's anti-Semitic. We can't do a gen- genocide because stop being antiseptic. Wasn't the okay? UN? Wasn't the UN like really critical in the formation of the very state in the fucking first place? Yeah, they kind of facilitated <laughs> the like, Nakba that allowed you to be a country, which I guess <laughs> what was are very you anti-Semitic. About? Which I, I mean, it was on some level for sure. Sure. Oh yeah, because they didn't want them in Europe. Yeah, exactly. Like, literally, it was it, like they're not wrong at the same time. They're yeah. Just, wrong for the wrong reasons so a they called them anti-semitic and the same day and this is huge for people like i can't overstate the ramifications of this for people who don't understand like the inner workings of what life is like if you're a palestinian in the occupied territories right or in gaza the same day the verdict came out israel uh accused 12 members of UNRWA. I can't pronounce that. Un, that. Un, un, UNRWA. UNRWA. The United Nations yeah. <laughs> Refugee uh, Works Association, which basically oversees like the. I'll, I'll get into that in a sec. But they 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 accused twelve members of this massive UN organization of participating in the October seventh attacks. Without any evidence, this is unsubstantiated. They haven't provided a single reason as to how this could have happened, but they accused 12 members of this UN organization, which has 30,000 staff, by the way. It's one of the largest, if not the largest, UN organizations. It's also existed since 1949, so it's one of the oldest. Yeah, they were fi- um, they were founded in the wake of the Nakba, because with the ethnic cleansing of, you know, 750,000-plus Palestinians, you know how had hundreds of thousands of refugees who are like internally displaced in their own lands or ended up in like Lebanon, Jordan, wherever. And through this process, we're stripped from their means of survival. Like right in the immediate aftermath of the Nakba, you're just in a tent. Yeah. And then these tents became concrete, which was kind of scary because you have these permanent refugee camps. Like you have yeah. refugee camps that are as old as the state of Israel, which is crazy. Yeah. It's refugee like, by its the definition of refugee refugee by its nature is temporary right <laughs> you know well, so the like, thing is they've had to reevaluate <laughs> what that actually means yeah. to be a refugee because like if you're displaced in 1948 and you have kids outside of your homeland and they have kids outside of their homeland those are still refugees because you're still alive and you're yeah. still being prevented from going back to where you were and it's not like israel could just wait out till you die and then oh they're not your kids aren't refugees anymore because we waited long enough like, no, yeah. you're still considered a refugee by international standards. So, you know, as the situation progressed, you have 5.9 Palestinians now who are registered with UNRWA. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't say this. Five I'm trying point, to take it. 5.9 million. million Palestinians yeah. who are considered refugees under this organization. And this organization's services are absolutely vital. They are the lifeline to Palestinians who exist in the West Bank, in Gaza, and in, in any of the refugee camps. Um, their main mandate is education, so they run like schools, but they also run social services, healthcare, financial supports, basically anything you might need to survive. This is a huge component to that, and it runs on international aid. Um... So right away, when Israel made these accusations, UNRWA said they were going to investigate it. They immediately, I think, terminated the the employment or something of of those 12 people. Like, either they were fired or they were suspended or something, right? But they took it very seriously, and they're like, okay, we're going to, like, investigate this immediately. But 
as a response to these accusations, and I, I can't overstate the fact that there's no proof. And mm. I'm willing to bet that <laughs> this was not a thing. You yeah. know, it's, it's very convenient that it came out. Right now, we'll see. Right after. We'll see yeah, with yeah. the investigation. We'll see. Sure, sure. Maybe they were. You know, there's 30,000 of them. Maybe 12 of them were sympathetic to Hamas. You know, who the fuck cares at the end of the day? It, 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 it doesn't matter. But yeah. the nine major donors to UNRWA, uh, the United States, Canada, Germany, the UK, Italy, and, and a few others, responded by cutting off all aid. To this service just based off the accusation so like they're just done they just scrapped the entire organization that for 75 plus years millions of people have relied on for survival they're basically saying that there's no aid going into gaza yeah and through this, this is channel anymore this is speaking of proxy wars this is a proxy war around the icj ruling right it's it like is. okay fine yeah okay maybe it's genocide but you know what we're gonna do this in response it's very much like what can we control to fuck over palestinians and let's do that so you take mm -hmm. away this avenue we'll go do this thing instead right you know remember with the the icj verdict their provisional member measures included ensuring the provision of humanitarian assistance to civilians in gaza so they did the opposite of that. These Western yeah. countries to penalize the ICJ in South Africa and Yemen and, and of course, the Palestinians mm. took away their aid. So you're, you're going to starve out a population that's going through. Like, I, I just can't wrap my head around this. Yeah. It's found to be plausible that a genocide is occurring in Gaza. So as a response, they're cutting off aid to Gaza. Yeah. And you know, if, fucking sense. <laughs> if you had Donald Trump in office or Pierre Polyev or Stephen Harper in office in Canada or like name your British conservative that I can't think of off the top of my head, like I would look at that and go, oh, yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Like whatever. But this is this is a government and Justin Trudeau and a government and Joe Biden who have are the woke option right like this is supposedly the big progressive communists of the world right now according to the right at least you know and and yet like and they play into that like biden and trudeau got elected based on the fact that they were presenting a kinder more progressive alternative to the trumps of the world and this is what i mean when i don't see a fucking difference there's no because difference. it's because it's just yeah. they just do the same shit especially yeah. when it comes to foreign policy they're just as racist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're just as fucked as any other any conservative that you yeah. can name. Trump was horrible on this issue, but like, but you expect them to be horrible. It, on this exactly. Issue. But he didn't do this. <laughs> he didn't cut off all yeah, the aid true. effective immediately during a huge crisis where people most especially are relying on this aid. And it, it's just crazy, like the the hypocrisy of international law and the way that these standards are invoked. Because this was just based off a fucking accusation. Israel yeah. has not only been accused for a very long time of much worse things, they've been found guilty by m and most major human rights organizations have determined that Israel is committing the crime of apartheid. Look up what Amnesty International has reported and found to be true based off rigorous investigation. Look at what Human Rights Watch has determined. Bet Salem, which is an Israeli human rights organization that monitors the situation in the West Bank, Yashdin, all of these Israeli and non-Israeli human rights organizations have determined it's apartheid, yet at no point did any Western government or any government be like, okay, we're cutting off aid to Israel. Mm -hmm. The U.S. gives about $100 million a year to Palestinian aid. They give $3.8 to Israel that's used to kill Palestinians. 
Yeah. So that, that exponentially smaller number is cut off immediately. But like when Israel is proven to be doing all kinds of crimes against humanity, not just recently, but going back like decades and decades, that's fine. Like there's zero yeah. accountability. And again, I think it just really highlights the truth that I think we've known. And then I say we, I mean, like, I guess leftists again, I don't like using that term particularly, but you know what I mean? That we've known for a long time is that, well, the reason this is happening is because colonial capitalist imperialist states stick together. Because if you start to call into question one of their actions, you have to start to call into question the entire fucking project. Mm-hmm. And that's just too much. We mm-hmm. can't do that because now, like, well, maybe what the indigenous folks in Canada are saying is actually maybe true. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Yeah. What does that mean for, for our political economy? Right. You know, what does that mean for, for what we were talking about before about, uh, you know, upholding the system of capitalism right. in spite of all of its contradictions, right? We have these standards that are set out by international law. And they're just weapons. That's all they are at the end of the day. It's political weapons. When we want to... And I'm not saying the situation in Ukraine isn't horrific. I'm just pointing out the double standard. Yeah. Because that is a real... There's a lot of real atrocities that are being carried out by the Russian invasion. But immediately, right? They hit him with Mm -hmm. the books. He could be arrested if he comes to many countries. If he leaves... Basically, if he leaves Russia. Yeah, he can't leave... (laughs) It's crazy what they're doing. They're sanctioning the living shit out of Russia. All of these things. Yeah. All of and, and it's funny because Russia is like self-sufficient enough, probably that they don't even care. Exactly. <laughs> They're just and, like, okay. And why is whatever. that? And why is that? Like, <laughs> why is why is Russia being targeted? Like, it happens to be our geopolitical rival that we are vying for control over parts of Eastern Europe and uh, the Middle East and Asia and that North, and kind of were Atlantic. opened up for with the collapse of the, the the Soviet Union and the socialist bloc. Yet, when our ally does that, it's fine. Yeah. And anyone who goes back, if international law is used by a colonized country, by South Africa, or like South Africa, right, that was going through something like apartheid, when, when a country in the global south tries to use these standards to the same, to the same effect, it results in just making the situation worse. Because that's, yeah. I, I that's not maybe directly why this aid was cut off. Maybe this was going to happen regardless. Because Netanyahu also for a very long time has been calling for UNRWA to not exist because, and this is something that I was listening to Mark Lamont Hill explain this earlier, and he made a really good point that like the refugee Palestinians being considered refugees is a huge political liability for the Zionist project because they want to see this as done uh-huh. as a finished product or a finished project. And so long as there are people that have refugee status, it means that they're displaced from their homes. Yeah. It means that they were meant to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that means that the project's not finished, that there needs to be some sort of resolution. But Zionism is just trying to wait it out. Yeah. Just try to wait it out, wait for people to die off, wait for people not care, or for there to be enough settlements where, you know, it's impractical to do whatever kind of situation. That's what the two-state uh, two solution is. It's just a red herring. Mm-hmm. They say, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're just waiting for good faith partners. We're willing to negotiate. And then you keep building settlements. You keep colonizing, you keep kicking people the fuck off their land and killing them, you know, while you're saying you're willing to negotiate. And at a certain point, it's just too late. Yeah. We're, we're pretty much getting to that point where, like, I mean, to be honest, I've never believed in a two-state solution. It's never, right. it's never yeah. been viable, but it's just a farce at this point. Anyway. Yeah. And this this goes into like to bring it back to the materialism and the the mar- the the, gr- the grubby Marxism is that like these are these are contradictions 
that will have to be resolved. You know, maybe not in our lifetimes, hopefully, but maybe not in our lifetimes. But these contradictions of like, well, so we have these Western colonial nations, especially Canada and the U.S., acknowledging, and Australia, acknowledging their colonial history, talking a big game about reconciling, talking a big game about including indigenous voices in every little decision that's ever made, even though we ultimately ignore it so that we can get copper from the peatlands. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that contradiction with the existence of Israel is big, right? And I think that, like, again, it comes back to working class consciousness. Once the working class gets to the point, if they do, where we realize those contradictions, then they have to be resolved because you can't have these two things existing like this. You can't have these two narratives existing. You can't, like, you have to resolve them at the end of the day. And it, that requires working class consciousness in order to resolve those conflicts to, to, or uh, contradictions. And that's how you get real actual change revolutionary change is through that dialectical process so like i i know it sounds like we're being super pessimistic when we talk about this stuff but that it's talking it's about talking about these contradictions openly and loudly that this is exactly how you resolve i don't think it's pessimistic i think it's i think it's cynical to just like look at things that we know aren't going to work like international law like boycotts like Mm -hmm. all these like kind of half measures and passive things i think we're being real and we're saying like we want to win. We don't want to just do anything, you know, just yeah. to make ourselves feel like we're doing something or, you know, make ourselves feel better because at least we're doing something. We're saying, let's look at things on their own terms. What is the actual situation? What are the facts on mm-hmm. the ground? And we're saying, okay, how can we win? Yeah. How can a solution take place? In my opinion, and I've thought about this for my entire life, everything has been fucking tried. We've tried militarily many times. We've tried guerrilla struggle. There have been individual terrorism. There's been boycotts for decades. There's been everything. We've tried. We're trying international law now. And we're seeing mm-hmm. the limits of that. We've tried uh, uh, imperialist diplomacy throughout the 90s. We've tried outright revolutions and the intifadas. Mm-hmm. The only thing that has not been tried is global solidarity. Yeah. It's it's a revolutionary movement that goes beyond the middle east and targets imperialism at its roots because what are the roots of this yes this is a colonial project in the sense that israel is colonizing palestine but the roots of it are not colonial the roots of it are stemming from western imperialism Mm -hmm. loading up israel with guns having their backs at the un financing them selling them weapons whatever giving them their cover to do whatever they need to do because we need Israel as an offshoot of Western imperialism in the West. Yeah. That's what this project is about. So the only way to get to the, the to get to the roots of it and actually stop it are for people like in Canada, like in the United States, like in Germany, and in the industrialized Western nations that require Israel as a proxy state to be to, to be undermined from within like mm-hmm. canadian workers need to take down canadian capitalism we have to fight against canadian imperialism at its root mm-hmm. that is how we support palestinians yeah like it's through labor the reason we're unable to do anything and our protest movements are shit i don't mean to say they're shit i just mean they're ultimately ineffective yeah. is because we don't have these mass movements anymore we don't have a robust labor movement that is capable of shutting down canadian capitalism mm-hmm I know this sounds idealistic because we're so far from this reality, but imagine when this started, we were able to call for a general strike and demand mm-hmm. that Trudeau stop supporting Israel in any way. Yeah. P- puts an arms embargo on Israel, maybe sanctions them, does whatever. 
we talk about all these things as if like this is what we're looking for. We need to yeah. stop the arms trade. We need to sanction. We need to call it what we call for a ceasefire. All all these things. How do we actually fucking do that? This yeah. is the only way. There's no yeah. other way. I'm sorry. Like anyone who thinks that like BDS is going to do that or any other solution, like you need to get your head out of your fucking ass and we need to organize. Yeah. Because most people support Palestine. Most people on planet Earth do not support the occupation of Palestine. Yeah. Most people in most countries, including Canada, support Palestinian justice. We're not outnumbered. We're fucking out organized. Yeah. That's the problem. We don't have these organizations and we need to build them. But and, and, and the thing but. is, like people have called for general strikes, right? And this is one of the things that I that I get annoyed by whenever anybody calls for a general strike, because they just want to like, snap you to the finish line. Yeah. Like let's just call for a general strike. Okay, cool. There's a general strike on April 23rd, and that yeah, date's no probably that date's probably <laughs> symbolic for some reason. But we're gonna do it this time. We're really gonna do the general strike, and then nothing happens because there's no organization. Yeah, there's no infrastructure. There's no infrastructure. Exactly. So like, yeah, maybe a couple hundred people take the day off work and use their PTO if they have it. Mm-hmm. Most people aren't fucking doing that, yeah, right? And it, ends, it ends up being nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And, like, there were some, on, like, awesome people in Windsor that did attempt that. Like, Media City, the film festival. Yeah. As they were planning for this huge film festival that's, like, the culmination of their entire year, they participated in the general strike. And shout out to you guys if you're listening. Yeah. To those are homies. But that's the type of shit we need is, like, understanding that, yo, this is a genocide. Mm-hmm. This is something that our country... And our entire economic system is deeply invested in. Mm-hmm. No half measure is going to do it. We need serious shit. We need to be able to put things on the line. Yeah. If we want this to stop. And yeah. That's the, that's what we're missing with every issue. This is a common theme in this podcast: is our unions, our working class organizations, have been destroyed throughout the cold war and throughout the the collapse of leftism in the 90s that we're kind of recovering from and we desperately need to build back up working class organizations that aren't tied to either like the ndp or the liberal party or any bureaucratic organization but that are actually like rooted in working class community organizing anything less than that we're not going to be able to deal with uh, a just transition in the in the climate crisis mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to move toward you know we talk about all these things like getting buses and trains and breaking from the automotive industry and uh nationalizing and having a planned economy to deal with the climate crisis we talk about divesting from imperial projects in the middle east okay how do we fucking do that yeah and if you're an individual person that's so goddamn overwhelming that you're not even going to begin that right exactly. and that's the point is that like and when we when we say it the most revolutionary act you can do as an as an average everyday working class person is organizing with your neighbors and your coworkers. that's what we mean because that is the first step to all this shit right it's like yeah. go and talk to your neighbors about organizing a tenant union so you can keep your fucking rent as low as possible or lower it mm-hmm. you know or like go and talk to your coworkers about joining a union and like you know trying to fight for better workplace conditions and wages it seems like those things are so mundane and disconnected from all of this bigger shit but that is how you do it mm-hmm. that's how you do it and exactly. it may take three five ten generations to do it but you don't start today you're not going to do it exactly. right and it, it revolution happens patiently it's a molecular yeah. process as trotsky i think do a few things about revolution mm-hmm. explains it as a, a a molecular process through through the ones and twos consciousness yeah. is slowly shifting as as the ideas kind of permeate in communities and when with through things like podcasts like this 
you know, we, we don't have a huge listenership, but maybe the few people that do listen to this take one or two things from it and they talk to their neighbor about it. They talk to their friends about it. And maybe those friends who now have these ideas, maybe they're not listeners of the podcast. Maybe they don't identify with our political project or anything like that, but the idea spread slowly. Uh-huh. And a small organization or just a group of people who are doing something can actually affect a huge amount of change in the long run because things spread out and people's consciousness slowly begins to change. Yeah. And then sooner or later, as things get really bad, very quickly change. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the, the Lenin quote about, you know, weeks happen in decades, decades happen in weeks, whatever that, yeah. he's much, <laughs> I don't have it in front yes, of me. But there are weeks when... Oh, sorry. There are decades when nothing happens, and there are weeks where decades happen. Yeah, and I, I think that 2020 was potentially one of those things. I think that was Absolutely. one of the most rev- revolutionary flashpoints in the Western world that I've ever witnessed was was the Black Lives Matter movement and the revolutionary potential of that. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it, it got kind of co-opted and de- defanged, but uh, at the same time, like that stuff happens so quickly. Like Every single conversation, even to this day, is now about wokeism and all this stuff. Where did that come from? It came from fucking the Black Lives Matter movement and like mm-hmm. some stuff before that, too. And it, like, But that was like the flashpoint that got everyone talking about it, where my grandmother talks about this shit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, like that's, that's what I mean. So, like, these things can, like, by doing that infrastructural, slow, patient work, when stuff happens, when a big, unignorable thing happens... That infrastructure is there to take it up and move it ahead a few decades, mm-hmm. you know. And, and exactly, that's and it's boring and shitty. I say it all the time. It's it's non glamorous, boring, shitty work, but you got to do it, you, you know. And it, it. and everyone everyone can do it. There's mm-hmm. not a single working class person who can't do right. it. Because then, when you have, because revolution is a part of life. Revolutionary movements are a part of life. This is a part of history. Anyone who thinks that that's not the case or thinks that movements are impossible is historically illiterate and is closing their eyes as they go through life because revolutions happen all the time. We just had Black Lives Matter. But the difference between a successful revolution and one that's actually able to tangibly impact things or take power into its own hands is very different than one that has potential. And we keep having ones that have potential but are unable to get over that that last point or focus its energy enough to know what to do. And the difference is that infrastructure and that level of organization to go back to this, like Trotsky motif. He talks about the revolutionary consciousness as like a revolution, sorry, as like steam in a piston box and the consciousness and the energy and spontaneity of the masses, these outpourings on the street of people just wanting to do something. That's the power of mm-hmm. it that's the steam but without the piston box to concentrate that power and turn it into energy you vapor. don't have that so yeah. that's what we need is we need the piston box we need the we need the organization to be able to channel that energy into something that's actually effective so that these movements don't just dissipate in the way that in a lot of ways they did in like black lives matter and similar movements mm-hmm. and that, that's occupy, like the burning occupy wall street occupy was, the other was a one, huge right? yeah. example of that yeah this is what I feel like that's the challenge of this generation is mm-hmm. is getting to that point because people are so steeped in whatever issues and pessimism and capitalist realism that they don't believe that we can even build these organizations. They're just always fighting with their, you know, kind of the off the back foot, whatever the fucking expression is, mm-hmm. you know, and they're unable to actually think about going forward and actually affecting some kind of change. We're just yeah. we're just playing defense and we're saying Okay, let's accept things for what they are, 
and just try to make it as not horrible as possible. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that's how we lose. Like, yeah, I, I, I it is, I, and it, I, and and not to emphasize this point too much, but largely a lot of the movements I've been a part of in this city, that's been the character of it is reaction, mm-hmm. reaction to the shitty thing, which you need. I'm not saying that that's not important to do in the time of the things happening right now we got to do something right uh but the focus is on that in a lot of cases and you know me and a few other people that have been have been around the block a few times with this kind of stuff have been like shouting about the need to build this larger infrastructure and that slow organizational work and not just you know let's let's do the reactionary thing because we got to do this right now let's uh, start a counter protest to go against this thing and we'll just go out there and we'll do that and again important shit but like there's then it fades away once that particular threat is gone there's no organizational work to try to build up anything exactly something bad happens at council or whatever mm-hmm. and we scramble when we do a counter protest or we create a movement and then we fuck off after like let's say let's say for instance just really quickly because we are uh, kind of up against our even liberal time limits that we have um th- let's just say the city uh you know, decides tomorrow or the province decides tomorrow, they're going to lift the rent cap, the 2.3% yearly rent cap for people who are already in a a rental space. And they said, you know what, landlords can just jack up rent whenever they want, however much they want, whatever, right? That would be devastating for working class people in this province. Mm -hmm. How would we fight it? We don't like. We'd have to figure it out. We'd have to figure it out on the fly, <laughs> exactly. and we'd probably lose. And the thing have is, we probably have. It took years to mm. try to get a rent, just a legal rent cap, put back in place. Whereas, if we had the union organizational infrastructure of tenant unions, they wouldn't even get it through. They would. It wouldn't even become a thing. Is we'd all really? say, "Fuck you, rent strike. We're not paying shit. Yeah, exactly. No, no tenant mm. is paying any rent." Until you dis- until you mm-hmm. do something. In fact, you know what? We're not even selling for the two point three anymore. Now we're saying fuck you, lower rent by two point three percent a year, mm-hmm. and we're not paying rent until you do. Yeah. Imagine but we, we don't have the infrastructure organization in Windsor that could call for something like that. Yeah, in an instant, and that could. And this is what they have in like fucking France. Yeah, that's true. why like anytime yeah. the government does any type of cut in France, I don't know too much about this, but the people yeah. lose their shit. There's, that's not. It's not the people attributed to this like just the French culture or something yeah. they have a culture no they're better there's infrastructure, organized yeah. than us, there's, a sy- there's a syndicalist there's it. a syndicalist organization there where uh people are a part of the same union regardless of what industry they're in you know mm-hmm. so like there's there's more of a culture of just solidarity through that infrastructure right mm-hmm. uh i'd love to get i actually know somebody who knows a lot about that i'd love to get them on because yeah. that's like the french the french model is an interesting one it's still mm-hmm. rife with neoliberalism and problems but like in terms of its labor infrastructure it's very different from any other country in Europe or in the Western world. So, uh, mm. and that's why that happens. That's why you see right. that shit happen in France and not in Germany or in Belgium or here. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we've, we've talked a long time now. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we, I think that was, this was a good episode though. We kind of, this might be my favorite. We episode. tied shit together in this yeah. one, local, international theory. We did it all. Cameron spoke Italian of the year. Hey, if you vote for me for Italian of the Year, no rents uh, are going up. I promise you that. No rents. <laughs> I'm gonna going abolish up. rent if I'm Italian of the Year, and I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna just what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna expropriate all the housing and have five percent of your income go to rent, and it's I'm gonna sub I'm gonna use the Cuban model. I'm gonna subsidize the already really low amount of rent. So 
Yeah. You don't even have to worry about that. We went to 5% of your income. Don't vote for Cam. Or spend more than on camera. Actually, I like that. Yeah. That's good. You can yeah. still All run, right. but like you should. Not- notably, though, you do have the identity politics on this one because you are Italian. Yeah, that's so true. So that's, that's the, that's the like I said, imagine uphill a battle you got. Palestinian Italian of the year. <laughs> I'd be the first female Italian of the year. Do we want the Has first there never co- been a woman win oh, that award? definitely not. No, there's a Mrs. No, there's Italy, a which is a, a beauty contest or something. Women be hot, men be doing business. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Note. Every time I hear anything about Italian culture in this city, it's just remarkably misogynist. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's well, uh, thanks for thanks for listening. Uh, at the River and the Land on Instagram, the River and the Land at gmail.com if you would like to email us. And uh, yeah, we, 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 we're about at responding to emails, we know. Uh, one day. We read them. We, we do read them. It's just, it's hard to find the time to respond. We well, like, will. we'll read them and we'll talk about it. And then, like, we never decide who's going to respond. <laughs> yeah, so no exactly. one does. We'll we like, should oh, just, did you see that Honestly, email? like, we should have a, a, an email episode eventually where we talk about it. It's really a Q&A. Yeah, like a Q&A style thing. Or, or we can bring on our most prolific emailer and and uh, yeah we can talk there's to a guy him. who emails us a lot and shouts out dave yeah you know you're out there we get we, i really appreciate your emails we do. but i have some disagreements yeah we will it'd bring be interesting on. to talk it'd be great to bring on the, the debate it'd be that'd yeah. be a good episode i think yeah it's, it's a very intelligent guy bring so. a landlord on for a debate too <laughs> we need to do that just a landlord just any we landlord, bring our landlord. Just bring bring them landlord on. On. yeah just find a landlord. That would actually be really funny to do. Oh, there's the alarm to end the podcast. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Defeating the radical left, the Marxists, the anarchists, the agitators, the looters, and people who in many instances have absolutely no clue what they are doing.